0: Coming up, I'm going to break down the two primary reasons why you and me and others don't get picked to do the things they want to do in life. This will take you back to elementary school, but it's going to free you up to raise your hand. Let's go. Helping you win in your work life so that you're winning in your life overall. This is the Ken Coleman Show. I'm Ken. I'm your friend. Thanks for being here. I'm going to take it back to 1993. It was the spring. I'm going to say it was probably March, and I was a sophomore in college. And uh, we were in Orlando, Florida. This was a pretty benign spring break trip. Probably not the ones that you think of when you think of spring break. Mine was PG all the way. And I had to say that because uh, if I didn't, you'd wonder, well, why in the world are you at Disney World on spring break? Well, because I went to Liberty University and... And uh, like I said, it was it was PG. May have been leaning closer to G rated. And so I find myself in a packed arena, and I don't think this this uh, show is there anymore. But it was uh, it was MGM back in the day. Now it's Disney Hollywood Studios, and I was sitting on about the fifth row of the metal bleachers in the Indiana Jones show. So it's a live show and they take a portion of the, of the movie and they have live action and the actors are acting it out and and so we're sitting there and and uh, waiting for the show to start. The MC comes out and gets everybody hyped up and then immediately says, "We need five volunteers to be a part of the show." Now, as soon as he said that, all of my friends there were about 8 or 9 of us, guys and girls and and, and immediately they looked down the row at me because they knew me. And I was, uh, was in the theater and, and did acting and all that in high school, and I was just a big ham and always trying to make everybody laugh. And so they all looked at me and were like, Coleman, you got to volunteer. Well, that's all I needed to hear. That's it. I didn't need encouragement. I probably was going to volunteer anyway, Alex. But when they said that, it was like, well, now my friends want me to. I'll jump off a bridge to make two of my friends laugh. This is how I was. I probably am still that way. You know anybody like that? I'm that guy. And so I, you know, immediately started making a scene, stood up, and I mean, extra freaked out, you know, maybe, me. I mean, just I'm on the fifth row. So I'm making a total scene. And so, as you would guess, the MC, they are trained, they're looking for people that are like me, that will act like a fool to get on the stage because they're looking for people that will participate and fully engage and that want to ham it up. So I got selected. And so there I go and uh, ended up being a part of it and stole the show. I was egged on by everybody and I had a big blast. And when it was over and I went back to my seat to sit with my friends, I had people coming up to me uh, wanting to do a picture and asking me to sign their little Disney autograph book. They thought I was a plant. I thought, this guy's an actor. He's a part of the show. So it was a great memory. Great fun. Okay. And this story illustrates one of two of the reasons that I'm going to go through as to why you aren't getting picked. Now, this is pretty simple stuff, but I want some of you to get some real courage out of this. So the first reason is is you, me, we act like we don't want to be picked. We act like we don't care. In other words, we're playing it cool. Now, let me tell you what I didn't do in that story. I didn't play that cool. I acted like a complete fool. Instead of being cool, I was the fool. But the fool got on the stage. Why did the fool get on the stage? Because the fool was willing to put themselves out there, to look foolish and still not get picked. And I wasn't exhibiting great courage in that moment. I'm just a dumb college kid. But I put myself out there, and as a result, I got picked. We are afraid of being rejected. That's what's going on. We're afraid to look foolish. But it is many times the willingness to look foolish, feel foolish, that gets us selected. You gotta raise your hand. The second reason that people don't get picked. It's because they don't put themselves in proximity to be picked. So the first one is you're there, but you got to raise your hand and say, me, I want to do it. I'm enthusiastic. Give me a shot. That's the first example. The second one is we're not even in the bleachers. We're not there. If you're not there, you can't be seen. If you can't be seen, you can't be picked. You get this. When I was 29 years old, I volunteered to help on a very important project for the company I was working for. It was John Maxwell Leadership Company, and we had a uh, live simulcast. It was going to have 90,000 leaders piped in in the United States and around the world. And one of our guests that was going to speak was a guy by the name of Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, legendary coach of the Duke Blue Devils, now retired. Now, he lets us know two weeks prior to the event that he wasn't going to be able to make it. It was a very rare situation. He said, I'm sick. I feel horrible about it. I'll refund you all the money. Um, I cannot make it. I have, a, I have something else that I've got to do that's very personal in nature and I have to do it. Uh, and so if you don't want the refund, I, can do it. I will do an interview for you because you've advertised me. And so the leadership of our company decided to go that route. And so I was in on the decision making because I was involved with the event. It was like, hey, who do we know that could do the interview. And I and I said, I know a guy. He's I just met him recently at one of our local leadership networking events. Is Bob Rathman. He's the voice of the Atlanta Hawks to this day on television. At that time, he was also doing the Atlanta Braves games for Fox Sports South. So I called Bob up and said, Bob, would you be willing to do this interview for us with, with Coach K? We want somebody that's a known broadcaster. And he said, sure, I'll do it, but I need help writing the interview. And I said, Bob, I'll do it. I love Coach K. I love the book, Leading with the Heart. To this day, it's right up there on the shelf over my shoulder and so i dove in and i read the book and to this day and i should have pulled it off the shelf alex it's got red ink all over it and i was preparing for that like crazy and so i was doing it and i i needed him to know that i would do everything possible to be his research assistant you need me i'm the guy he goes this is great he goes Write the interview, and I'll make any changes. I said, great, I'll do it. But I was in the room because I said I wanted to be a part of it, and then I said, Bob, I'll do all this for you. And so now I'm in close communication, and I'm actually writing the interview. So watch. Step one is I raised my hand. Step two, I decided to put myself even closer to the situation by being involved with him in writing the interview. Now here's the rest of the story. A week before... The interview was supposed to happen on the floor of Cameron Indoor Arena, the legendary arena at Duke. Bob called me. I answered the phone. What's up, man? He goes, hey, you're not going to believe this. We had a rainout last week, and Major League Baseball has rescheduled the game for the day that I'm supposed to do the interview with you. I am so sorry. There's nothing I can do. (sighs) Okay. So I go tell My leader, what was going on, this is our situation. He looked at me. He said, you wrote the interview, didn't you? I said, yeah. He goes, you can do it, can't you? I said, yes, I can. I didn't know if I could do it, but I wanted to do it. And as a result, a week later, I sat with Coach K and did the very first interview that i ever done in my life, and it was such a rewarding moment from the experience itself, but it confirmed a path forward for me. And it led to me interviewing many A-listers, one of which was Dave Ramsey, and that led to me coming here to do the work I do today. A series of doors swung wide open for me. Why? Because I was willing to raise my hand, and I was willing to get close enough to where an opportunity fell right in my lap. That's why you don't get picked. So be vocal. Be volunteer. Be around people and take your shot. Hey, if you're enjoying the show on YouTube, would you help us grow by liking the video you're watching, subscribing to the channel, and then sharing with someone you think it will encourage? On podcasts, if you're listening there, uh, follow us and give us a five-star review. That would mean a lot to us, and that helps us with those crazy algorithms. All right, so this is fascinating stuff here. Kind of an update on one of the most popular work phrases in recent history, maybe all time. I would dare say it's probably all time. You've heard of quiet quitting, I'm sure. Many of you know that it kind of took off on social media but you may not know that Zaid Khan, if I'm saying that right, uploaded a 17-second TikTok video. And this is uh, borrowing ext- uh, right from extracting from his video that he posted, quote, quitting the idea of going above and beyond. And the term "quiet quitting has now blown up. After discovering the term in a, uh, I think a career coach, somebody made it uh, public, He discovers it, puts it out in his TikTok video. He's a 25-year-old engineer at the time. And this TikTok captured the attention of 3.6 million people worldwide. He went on to say, you're still performing your duties, but you're no longer subscribing to the hustle culture mentality that work is to be your life. The work doesn't have to be your life. It's not your life. And your worth as a person is not defined by your labor. Now, I agree with him. But then it got Taken by a bunch of people who use it as an excuse for average. And that's where it blew up. Soon after the clip was posted, the hashtag quiet quitting caught fire and reached workers in them in every corner of the globe. Today, over 858 million people have glazed their eyes over content using the hashtag quiet quitting. I mean, it's worth looking at. Almost a billion people have looked at something that is categorized, and that's all the hashtag does is categorize it under Quiet Quitting. But where is Zaid Khan now? Well, this article from MSN says he's backtracking on the anti capitalist slam dunk. He goes on to say, I was all for the idea of withholding labor from companies who don't care about us. See, it took on a little bit of that French Revolution feel to it, right? At first it was, you're not defined by your work, and you're not. Your life should be about way more than your work. Absolutely right. But then it turned into this rebellious, screw the man kind of message, yeah? And so, uh, as he began to take on less work, not working full eight-hour days, it soon wore off, and he got paranoid. He's worried about actually getting fired. That's what happens when someone knows they're supposed to do something and they don't do it. Start looking over your shoulder. can start to eat away at you. Then his teammates started raising suspicion about how much work he was doing. Of course. Everybody's looking. Everybody's watching. It was then he realized... What am I actually doing with my life? I need to come up with an actual plan instead of go to a job that has no meaning and no future. Yeah, downshift, sure. But when you downshift into nothing, the heart begins to go, Psst, Hey, hey, well, what are we doing? And this is what happened to him. So he left his job. He then says, I wasn't It wasn't until I made the decision to actually leave my job that I felt this enormous weight lifted off my shoulders. It's a decision that I wish more people could make because I do think life is too short to be dissatisfied wherever you are because the reality is work does consume so many hours of our lives. That's why I do the show. That right there is to have people come to that realization and then say, okay, I can forge a path forward. There is a unique path for me. He says it so beautifully. I do think life is too short to be dissatisfied wherever you are. Because the reality is work does consume so many hours of our lives. So here's a young guy who goes, you know what, I got to move on. Now he stepped away from the corporate world. He's doing a lot of gig and freelance jobs. And uh, he now says, I don't want to be tied to the quiet quitting movement. This is the OG right here. This is the guy that put it out. He's going, I don't want to be tied to this. Why? Because he now sees that there can be tremendous meaning in work. And it's a great payoff. As opposed to downshifting and coasting, he has pivoted and is prospering. He then says, I learned that poor management is truly to blame for a disengaged employee. He's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. When an employee is not on the right seat of the bus, when the bus itself, maybe they're in the right seat, but the bus is just not a fun bus to be on. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That whittles the heart away. I want you to just picture right now I've got a wood heart right here, and this is the this is really what happens inside someone. And so if I get out a hammer and a chisel, and I begin to just pound on the chisel, and I begin to chip away at the heart, and you can sit here and watch it right here on the video, and you just see with every pound, a little piece comes off one time, a bigger piece comes off the next, eventually maybe it splits. I'm telling you, day in, day out. When you aren't on the right seat, or you know you're not on the right bus, the realization begins to chip away, and you either decide to move on, or you allow each workday to essentially be the chisel that chips away at your heart. And you want—I'm not—I'm—I'm I'm not trying to be cheesy here. I'm trying to be as real as I possibly can. This is when you search for distraction in the form of medication. You medicate drugs, alcohol, sex, any number of addictions, gambling, spending. You do whatever it takes to pump something back in the heart, to glue something back on the heart. That's what happens. And so here it is. The guy who came up with the phrase, the the actual TikTok that blew up quite quitting. and he's now going, hey, I realize it's about management. If you don't feel like you're part of a team or in some sense connected to your work, you're going to be alienated. You are not the problem. I agree to an extent. You are not the problem that you're on the wrong bus in the sense that you got on, they told you it was going to be a great ride, and the culture's horrible. You didn't create that. It's not your problem. You aren't the problem as it relates to someone hired you, put you in a seat on the bus. That may be not a good fit. But you are the problem if you choose to stay after you realize it. You may have made a mistake. You made a poor judgment call getting on this bus or allowing yourself to say yes to that seat. You have a role in it, but you don't become the problem unless you choose to stay. If you choose to stay, you can't be resentful anymore. That's not on them. That's on you. If you know you're not in the right place, you're not in the right seat, and you bring it up and and they won't do anything about it, you've done your part. You cannot control that. What you can control is what you decide to do with this new reality. So you aren't the problem, but you are the solution, And to the extent that you don't become the solution, now you are the problem. So that's where you get to the problem. You aren't initially the source of it, even with you making a poor decision. By the way, it's okay to acknowledge, you know what, I said yes to this job, and I got in, and six weeks in, I realized it's a bad fit. It's okay to acknowledge that. But so many people are afraid to acknowledge that because if they feel they acknowledge it, they have to do something about it. And I'm just telling you, why would you continue to just keep going through a mistake why it makes it worse you're compounding the problem as opposed to going well i blew it here let me take my loss here and walk so pretty interesting stuff quiet quitting always leads to loud quitting and it's loud for everybody your heart and for everybody you left behind Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show, helping you get unstuck so that you can be unstoppable in your work life. And let me tell you something, that's going to, in a positive way, just drip and flood all over the rest of your life. Now, the converse of that is, is if you're miserable in your work, you're dragging that home with you. And uh, so let's talk about something in the news here that I think it's great. And I think that this has the potential to... To, to to be a wildfire. I don't know that it will because so many leaders and managers just do whatever it takes to get along. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. And so the status quo, this is the way we've always done it. This is what rules corporate America and work in general. So this headline jumped out at me. And it jumped out at me because it's very deeply personal to me. Boy, oh boy. Shopify. Are you familiar with Shopify? So uh, this is a Canadian e-commerce company, and uh, it, it is, it, it, is it, it is a major player in culture as to how uh, people buy and sell things. And uh, so they have now rolled out what is a cost calculator for pointless meetings. And I saw this headline, and I just wanted to stand up and clap. Before I even had a chance to read it, I went, boy, I like where this is going. I like where this is going. So it is a calculator embedded in the employee's calendar app. And what it does is it estimates the cost of any meeting with three or more people. So here's how it does it. This is fascinating. The tool uses average compensation data across roles and disciplines, along with the meeting length and the amount of attendees, and then it puts a price tag on the meeting, (laughs) the cost to the company. This is absolutely brilliant. A typical 30-minute endeavor with three employees can run from $700 to $1,600. Adding an executive, and let's just take this example here in the article. This is an MSN article. A chief operating officer, you put him in the a meeting, and uh, the cost can shoot up to above $2,000. Now, so that's fascinating. You want a big shot? You want an executive to show up to your meeting? And it's a 30-minute meeting? That meeting is going to cost the company $2,000. Tell me, that doesn't put a little pucker factor into uh, does this meeting matter and how do we make this meeting productive to the point of profit? Because if it costs us $2,000 to do this meeting, how much money are we going to make as a result or how much money are we going to save as a result? I love this. Now this is a this is a year-long drive that they've put as an emphasis for the company. And uh, the goal and I love this, this is from their chief operating officer, Kaz Najatian. He said the goal is to change the default answer to a meeting request from yes to no. I love that. It puts the burden of proof on the person who's putting the meeting together to go, we absolutely must meet. Because you start putting a price tag of over $2,000 on a 30-minute meeting and that's internal and they start measuring these metrics and they go, we're going to start dinging your profit and loss internally. Let me tell you something. That changes the importance of shall we gather together, right? Fascinating stuff. Time wasted on Meetings like this were among the top five causes of inefficiency with an organization. This is from employees who were surveyed by project management app Reich. Companies have battled this for a long time. I remember Alan Mulally, who I had the pleasure of interviewing years ago at an Entree Leadership event. He took over at Ford Motor Company and changed the future of Ford Motor Company at the time. He took over in 2006, and one of the big things he did, and it was reported widely, is he slashed unnecessary meetings. Bain and company, uh, a decade ago, found that a single weekly meeting of mid-level managers cost one organization $15 million a year. woo hoo hoo Yikes! We're just setting money on fire. I mean, seriously, some of you that are managers or people that have some influence with your managers. I want you to just think about that. Your next meeting, on some level, whether you have the ability to measure it or not, is the equivalent of taking a pile of money and putting it on the conference room in the room that you're in and setting it on fire. Fascinating. So it's productivity, and and i got to give you a quote from my friend Pat Lencioni, who actually wrote a best-selling book entitled Death by Meeting. If you're listening to me or watching me, and you are in some type of a leadership position, and you're in control of setting meetings, you need to read the book. Run. Go get it. Death by Meeting. It's a parable. And I pulled one of the things that he writes in the book. Pat's been on the show many times. This is what he says. The hard truth is bad meetings almost always lead to bad decisions, which is the best recipe for For mediocrity. So what he means by, and if I could extrapolate from this, a bad meeting would be an incomplete meeting, an unnecessary meeting. What are we looking to accomplish here? What is the problem that needs solving? And let's put all of our guns aimed in this meeting at solving that problem. So bad meetings that don't have a very clear objective. This is where we're going and this is why we got to get there. The how takes care of itself. But at least we're in there for the right reason. A bad meeting to just all the time having meetings. Let me tell you what bad meetings end up turning into. Bad meetings turn into incomplete conversations. And incomplete conversations require, are you ready for this? more meetings. Well, we got in the room and we kind of Knocked around this way, and we knocked around that way, and we created what we did is we identified some more holes, and we identified it in this group conversation where we got people not doing their job and they're in there. And so now we got to have another meeting. And that just creates more mediocrity. Let me tell you how it turns into mediocrity. A, we wasted time, so we weren't efficient, therefore we cannot be excellent. So we wasted time. That time's gone forever. Secondly, because we didn't do a good job the first time, we may create multiple meetings. Why? Because we don't have a discipline for saying, what is just this one thing that we have to solve, and does it require four or five people in the room? Or does it require a 10-minute huddle in one person's office? We just set meetings because we think it's okay to have a first-level conversation. And then that will lead to the next conversation and the next conversation. Might I suggest to you, from a guy who can't stand unnecessary meetings, when meetings are wasted, have the conversations beforehand so that when you get into the meeting, we know what we're doing. And why we're doing it. It's pretty simple. But just having one meeting that is a mediocre meeting that sets us up for a better meeting later is ridiculous. Have two and three little conversations. So that when you get in there, you're ready to roll. But let me tell you something. You look at these numbers, and you look at the sheer loss of productivity, and you look at what Shopify is doing What they are doing, and I'm going to repeat this, is they're changing the default answer from yes to no. So what's the entire takeaway? I've given you my opinion. I've showed you this. Let me tell you what I take away from this. My answer, your answer in a healthy organization to a meeting request ought to be no and then put the burden on the person to say convince me to yes. Now, am I saying that you walk around being a jerk and every meeting request say no? No. But I am saying That if you have the ability to influence this, go, I'm not coming to a meeting. My answer is no. I'm a tentative no. Tell me why that I need to be in this room with all these other people. Some of you don't like that, but the reality is that would force people to make a compelling reason as to why we need to be there and what we're going to do when we're there, and that That right there is a prescription for efficiency, which leads to excellence. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Press on. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.